Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology. Happy Saturday, everybody. Today, some special bonus content for you. As I mentioned in one of my previous videos, one of the goals of this channel in the year ahead, and hopefully for many years to come, is to host, feature, support the creative work of some of the most talented Nightlight students and alumni that have come through our programs who are new and upcoming content creators. Um, I am really excited to be doing this because it makes for some fun bonus content on the weekends, and it also showcases some new talent that I think you guys will really like, and it's a way for me to help support uh, the students and future generations of astrologers, something I really believe in doing. I think it's important to do that, especially since I've had people that helped me with that exact same thing as, as I was coming up and, and still am. So um, anyway, on that note, today, my friend Emma Frey will be joining us to discuss the Dharma of the Rising Signs. This is the first of a 12-part series we're going to be doing together, looking at the mythology or the kind of character arc, the stories that really define the lives of Aries Rising individuals. And we're taking a really unique approach, which is we are going to look at the way in which people, famous actors and actresses with Aries Rising have often embodied the roles uh, in their roles that they have played, the Dharma or mythology of the rising sign of their own chart, which is uh, fascinating. And something we're going to talk about, we're also going to talk about why we think that that actually happens quite frequently in Hollywood um, and why, how that, how that connection is even possible. So we'll talk about that at the beginning of the episode, but I think you guys are going to really like this. It's going to be a good way to get to know the rising signs, the mythology and Dharma of the rising signs. We'll also uh, getting to see some really colorful storytelling and beautiful pattern connections that Emma uh, is really, really good at. So I hope you guys will enjoy this. Don't forget to like and subscribe, share your comments and reflections. You can find a transcript of today's talk on the website, nightlightastrology.com. As I am making this, you know that we're trying to get to 1,777 backers by New Year's Eve. As of the time I am recording this, we are at 858 backers that we have received the support from, which means we need 919 left. It's getting closer. Like we're actually making some really good progress. It's been a historically slow year. There's probably a lot of reasons for that. But uh, we have nine days left, so we really need your support. We can get there. I really believe that we can, and I believe the model behind Nightlight, the Kickstarter, I believe that this model is far better because it's just rooted in a generous giving and a, and a call to say, if you like it, support it. And um, that kind of exchange provides for an open-hearted level of exchange on so many other different levels throughout all of our offerings. And going forward, the affordable reading service we're trying to create in the next year, it's rooted in that same idea that there, it, that there's a huge audience listening to this. A very small population says, you know what, I value this spiritual approach to the business itself, this kind of model of uh, open giving and, and exchanging, uh, as opposed to paywalls and subscriptions and all that stuff. Uh, then pitch in and help us reach our goal. Support me, my staff, uh, and all of our projects. We really appreciate it. And our promise to you is we will still make kick-ass content in the year ahead that hopefully, you know, contributes to your spiritual health and well-being. I'm not sure if kick-ass goes along with that intention so well, but whatever. Anyway, you can find the link to the Kickstarter pinned to the top of the comment section or in the description of this video. Every day I've been telling you a little bit more about myself. Today's no exception. I had a, a question that came in. They said, could you do this for your introduction for your Kickstarter pitch? Which transits are you most excited to discuss on your channel in 2024 if and when you meet your funding goals for the Kickstarter? Easy. I'll tell you in order. Number one, Jupiter, Uranus, and Taurus. In April, about April 20th, Jupiter and Uranus and Taurus, that's going to be a fantastic transit. I don't think people understand how um, what, a what a shift of momentum, what possibilities, and what 
what growth in, in such a fertile, lush sign, the sign of Venus, a fixed Earth sign. This has the potential to really open some amazing possibilities that um, can make us feel happier and healthier. And there's a there's it's like um, a lightning rainbow strike. I've been saying, fantastic transit. I think it's going to be the most interesting to cover and to watch and reflect on and hear your stories on as the year goes on. Number two for me would be Jupiter square Saturn. Jupiter in Gemini will square Saturn in Pisces. This will be their first square since their conjunction on the winter solstice of 2020 in Aquarius while Pluto's sitting on that zero degree of Aquarius all year. I think that's going to be really interesting, especially, I guess, you know, in an election year, although, oh my God, I'm not super excited for that, but whatever. Uh, the, the point is that Jupiter square to Saturn will teach us so much about the interactions of Jupiter-Saturn cycles. People who are just getting into astrology, who saw the conjunction, are going to have light bulb moment after light bulb moment as those two planets come into square and we start going, oh, this is what the cycle is about. This is what Jupiter-Saturn cycles are like. And this is their opening square, which is kind of coming of age moment for the Jupiter-Saturn cycle. I think that's going to be fantastic. That's in August and December. And then, of course, Pluto's entrance into Aquarius, I'm stoked about. Like, I am excited. But even more than that, Jupiter will enter Gemini and trine Pluto in Aquarius uh, in late May and early June with this super powerful new moon in Gemini that will feature Venus Kazemi at the heart of the sun. I'm stoked about that. That is a very magical period. And I could see it just... There's a kind of magician archetype in the air with Jupiter in Gemini and then the trine to Pluto in Aquarius. Like, ooh, just interesting thoughts and ideas, interesting changes of thought structures and paradigms. I could see there being some really innovative leaps in medicine, technology, and interesting conversations about the appropriateness of this or that or the, the kind of dualities present that'll be fascinating as those two planets are trying to rapidly develop ideas and technology and like air signs. So those are the three I am most excited about easily. And uh, yeah, if we have a successful Kickstarter, and I, I hope we will, then I think these are going to be the best things to, these are going to be the best things for me to talk about in the year ahead. I'm so looking forward to these transits in particular. So anyway, uh, that's that's it for today. I hope you guys will enjoy this talk with Emma Frey. Enjoy it. Don't forget, we're trying to get to our goal by New Year's Eve. We need your help. Find the link to the Kickstarter at the top of the comments section pinned or in the description. Go over there, pick up a reward, come study with us, pick up a class pass. They're super discounted. We'd love to see you at Nightlight in classes in 2024 or beyond. You can use them whenever you want. They're transferable. They don't expire. So yeah, on that note, enjoy today's uh, recording. And, and again, a big thanks to everyone who's already donated. We really appreciate it. All right, take care. Hey everyone, so today I am really excited to have my friend and colleague Emma Frey with me to discuss the mythology of the rising signs as they appear in Hollywood and in some of the most familiar actors and stories of Hollywood. This is a series that Emma has developed out of her own creative genius and I'm just so happy to be hosting it and kind of playing along with her. I really, I deeply admire her and I know you guys are going to as well. Her, um, her work is fantastic. I'm gonna tell you more about her and how you can learn all about her and she's gonna introduce herself too. But um, this is the first of a series that we're doing that will be looking at uh, the mythology of the rising signs as they play themselves out in the roles that famous actors and actresses play in Hollywood. Um, and this is one of the best ways, in my opinion, to get to know the archetypes. And I'm so happy to have Emma uh, with us today to um, start diving in. So Emma, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. 
Yeah, I just I love your work. I've been a fan. Um, Ashley and I were on your podcast at one point, and I have followed you on Instagram for a while. Um, I want to tell people right away, if you want to check it, you could even pause the video and go check Emma's workout on Instagram. It's at patterns in the stars. That's where you can find her work and all of the really interesting ways that she charts astrology um, and, and really a very unique offering. I'm gonna let her tell you more about the work that she does. But um, yeah, Emma, why don't you introduce us to the series where the idea came from that we're going to be unpacking here in not just this video, but in 11 more that will track all of the different rising signs. And maybe also, could you introduce us to yourself and your work in a, in a broader sense as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to share my screen right now, just so I can dive into that. Um, yeah. You can see my Canva, which is my preferred mode of creation for my Instagram. Let's make it full screen. All right. So um, I am on Instagram as patterns in the stars. If you know me at all, this is how you know me. I share pictures of Hollywood stars side by side for stars that share the same natal placements. Typically, as you can see in the lower corner, I share big three posts. So Helen Keller and Robin Williams, share the same sun, moon, and rising. And I think it's really interesting to see patterns that I perceive and share them out. Um, I'm a Gemini sun, Gemini midheaven. And so my passion is sharing the data, sharing the patterns that I see, and then stepping back and hoping that you see the same patterns I do without imposing necessarily what I'm seeing. And uh, that's what I want to do today with a sort of different patterns in the stars. Uh, we're gonna to focus today on the rising sign as Adam talked about. And on my Instagram account, I have shared pictures of celebrities who share the same rising sign as seen here with uh, masculine presenting Virgo risings. Um, I think that you can see similarities between them. Uh, it's up to you if you whether or not you agree, but I see certain similarities between all of those celebrities represented there. And I also see similarities in actors' stories in film. So um, something that I think is often lost when talking about the rising sign in modern astrology is the huge importance of the rising sign. The rising sign uh, in Hellenistic astrology was considered the place of the native. Uh, it represents one's character. It represents one's individual body. Um, and it can represent one's dharma as well. And so when we turn the jewel, as Adam talks about, with regard to uh, certain elements of astrology, we find new layers of meaning uh, that we can pull apart and uh, just discover more richness. And so when we think about appearances, uh, we can go deeper than surface level. Uh, there's a great poem by Octavio Paz, in which uh, they say appearances are the shadows of archetypes. And I think that pertains really well to what we're going to be talking about here. Um, I'm going to bring in the all too familiar allegory of the cave, Plato's allegory of the cave, because I think it works on so many levels. Um, film, of course, is projected onto a screen. And so that's one way in which this uh, allegory fits really nicely, I think. For those who don't know, 
the concept is that people are chained to a wall and all they've ever known is what they're seeing projected onto a wall that they're looking at. So you can see here, this man sitting down is looking at a projection of a bird figure. And that's all they know. They think that that projection of the bird is the thing. But of course, if you stand back, there's a projection of something else, a primordial image, if you will, an archetype that is being projected forth by way of fire. Uh, it could also be light from a projector. And so when we're talking about this project that I'm doing, I like to think of that bird as the zodiacal archetype, one of the 12, and then the projection is what we see in film. So a protagonist's character arc that they're going through in a movie. Um, to explain this a little bit better, um, I'm gonna start with Virgo because I'm a Virgo rising. And so I've just, I've delved quite deep into this one and I've got a lot to say about it. So, and I think this is a really clear example. The archetype itself in this case is Virgo. It harkens back to the 12 different phases of light throughout the year. Um, if you take Adam's astrology course first year, you will learn more about that. But in short, each of the 12 signs corresponds to a different phase of light. So Virgo is the ending of the waning of the dominance of the light. And that light phase can be translated into a story, into a character journey. The most familiar of which is Beauty and the Beast slash Persephone and Hades. They're kind of the same thing. Um, and so that is, I think, a really nice translation of that light phase into story, into mythology. We'll get into, when the Virgo episode rolls around, we'll get into the more Hellenistic mythology associated with Virgo. Um, but in this case, let's focus on Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and then take it one step further, and we can see that same story, that same protagonist journey taken in films like The Sound of Music and Greece. Um, for all Beauty and the Beast live action adaptation, film adaptations, the protagonist is played by Virgo Rising. That's uh, the 1946 Cocteau version. There's a 2014 French version with Léa Seydoux and then the Disney Emma Watson. They're all Virgo Risings. And then as well in The Sound of Music in Greece, uh, Julie Andrews and Olivia Newton-John are also both Virgo Risings. And while no one would describe The Sound of Music or Greece as you know, modern adaptations of Beauty and the Beast, there are similarities, quite obvious similarities between Belle's character journey and uh, Maria and Sandy's in The Sound of Music in Greece. So this is the basic idea. Let's start with Aries though. So to you know, bring in The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. In the sign of Aries, the light dominates, triumphs, or takes over from the dark. This is the, of course, break of dawn, if we're looking at it in terms of a 24-hour cycle. Um, how this is translated into story. So there are a lot of different myths associated with Aries through different cultures, but since we're talking Hellenistic, let's talk about that core Greek Aries myth, that of the golden ram. You may or may not be familiar about it, with familiar with it. Uh, the tale here begins with a king uh, named Athamas and his wife, Nephili. I don't know if I'm pronouncing everything correctly, but uh, this king and queen had two children, Phrixus and Heli. Athamas, the king, marries a second time and his new wife, 
I know is kind of a bee and she grew, grows jealous of the children from his first marriage because of course, uh, I know plots to eliminate the children and secure the throne for her own children because so it goes. So to save those two kids, their actual mother, Nephili, sends a golden ram with a fleece of pure gold to rescue them. The ram was a divine creature sent by the gods and it could fly. The children climb onto the back of the golden ram and are carried away to safety. Uh, there's some parts of the story where the girl like falls off the ram's back and drowns in the waters, but that's not totally relevant to this discussion. Um, the boy though uh, is is taken to safety and he then sacrifices the willing golden ram to Zeus and presents its golden fleece, the famous golden fleece to King Aetes of Colchis. I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of that correctly, but the idea here is that there is this figure, this golden figure that comes down and willingly sacrifices uh, himself for the sake of these children, these budding, this budding new life. So with that, uh, taking into consideration that myth, the light phase, um, other myths that are associated with Aries, um, I've identified three different ways of looking at the beginning of the rising of the dominance of the light. The first of which is breaking a cycle of darkness. Um, I remember the breaking of the dawn. Uh, it can be taken quite literally. And then there's remembering one's divine right of sovereignty. And finally, the reemergence of the solar father figure. This is the quote unquote good father, the capable, fair, strong and loving father figure. It doesn't have to be gendered, but it's sort of this leadership position within a family or social system. Um, so with that, I think we can get started. Um, so I have identified two different characters. Uh, Adam has also identified two for each of the three, um, the three themes. And so I'll kick things off. Every actor included here has an Aries rising, as far as we know. <laughs> um, the first is Morgan Freeman, starring in uh, The Shawshank Redemption, which many of you have probably seen. His character's name is Red, and uh, it, the movie can be kind of, there are moments in it that are quite dark. Um, there are, there's obviously the focal point is a prison and the despair that that system engenders in uh, the inmates, even after they leave. Um, I don't wanna spoil movies too much here, um, but um, I guess we have to, uh, to a certain degree. Um, Red chooses life at the end, even when other people have fallen into this despair caused by um, the prison system and he, chooses a different path at the end, one of uh, hope and light. And if you watch it, I think you'll understand what I mean by that. Um, we're gonna include Morgan Freeman again in this category, but first I'm gonna mention uh, my other pick, which is uh, Penelope Cruz, who plays Raimunda in Volver. Um, this character comes from a family that has seen a lot of suffering, a lot of death. There's some really nasty uh, essay stuff that has happened in that family's past. Um, it ends with Raimunda and her daughter uh, very consciously deviating from said path uh, toward one of hope and renewal. 
so again, I don't want to spoil it, but it is the breaking of this longstanding cycle of familial uh, tragedy, uh, corruption, and darkness. So yeah, I will then hand it off to Adam for his first pick for this theme. Well, this is, I, I love this. I love those first two characters that you um, talked about. And um, yeah, I think what's really interesting is the way that that cycle of darkness often has historical as well as personal implications. So you'll often see, and, I, and we're just reflecting on how this can sometimes translate in like my client work with, you know, people with Aries rising too, that there's cycles of darkness being broken that are sometimes generational, ancestral, historical. For example, I've seen, I, I just took some notes before we got started. I was like, yeah, you know, I have seen a number of clients with Aries rising, people that I also know personally, who might be the first to go to college in their family. Mm -hmm. It can be something that simple where there's a, 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 the dawning of the light and the breaking of some cycle. Um, and also that theme of, of sacrifice um, on behalf of the break a sacrifice that makes possible the breaking of a cycle. That's also really important. Um, Morgan Freeman in the movie Glory, which came out in 1989, I'm trying to remember the name of his character. It was Sergeant Major John Rollins. And um, essentially he is part of the, um, the Union Army's earliest African-American regiments in the American Civil War. And his in that movie, just to put it briefly, his sacrifice as both a leader and a soldier that eventually uh, lead to his death in the end, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe that's like the, the very last scene of the movie. I believe he dies. Let me just double check because I had my I have my notes here. Yeah. So in the very end of the movie, as they are um, sort of leading an attack on a fort, a, like a Confederate uh, fort, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they um, they make possible the, the breaching of the wall and yet they die in the process. Um, and, and his sacrifice ends up being not only an important, there's a, he plays a role in a pivotal moment in the war, but also a pivotal moment in American history in terms of the, the eventual civil rights movement, the trajectory of a more enlightened view of how we treat human beings, right? And uh, a breaking of the darkness of slavery. And also um, the, 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 integration of minorities into the army, which is uh, a big, huge part of this story, in addition to it being like a, a historical civil war story that has its own interesting role to play in the overall story of the war. There's sacrifices being made in part for a, a, a major battle and in terms of the a major battle for like breaking a cycle of darkness in American history, but then also leading the way for um, uh, black leadership in the army and stuff like that. So just a like a, a, a prototypical like Aries rising story to embody that not entirely different from some of the ways in which Morgan Freeman shows up in Shawshank as well, which is interesting. Yeah. Right. So. Um, what Olivia, I'm trying to remember her last name. What do I, I say? It's Hussey. Hussey, yeah. Olivia Hussey was Juliet. Um, and uh, she, I'm trying to remember when Romeo and Juliet came out. Let's see, Romeo and Juliet. When did it come out? It was 1968, right? 
Anyway, the point that's really interesting is that oftentimes Aries is also associated with youthfulness and, um, and or courage. And the, there's something about youthfulness and the courage of youthfulness that will often, um, it's often in the name of the youth or the younger generation that an old cycle needs to be broken. Right. And so often an Aries rising will either be on behalf of the young, on behalf of the new, on behalf of the uh, something new that's dawning as opposed to something old that, you know, uh, is maybe stuck, um, which is interesting considering Saturn is also in its fall in Aries. Um, that sometimes the youth will be the martyr in an Aries rising story, or there will be a theme of youthful sacrifice. Uh, what's interesting here is that the character Juliet is, of course, breaking the cycle of violence between two families that are in a civil war through the act of love and and her own tragic sort of youthful suicide, right? Um, and so she dies, but through her death, a cycle of civil war and strife is broken between two families. Um, and and that theme is really tragic that that sacrificial lamb is um, often a theme with Aries. For example, there's actually been some really interesting astrologers that uh, Gal Sasan, I want to say his name is. I remember he did a talk one time that I heard on, he was making the case that the Aries symbolism fit nicely with the Christ mythology. And mm. one of the reasons being that he was a young man who, who died and that there's a sacrificial lamb motif in Aries. And um, this would certainly fit the bill for Olivia Hussey. I think that's how you say her name, playing Juliet in uh, the the 60s version of Romeo and Juliet, for sure. Yeah, I love that. I love those examples. Um, I Yeah, I think, and it's important to know too, that like, there are obviously many uh, Romeo and Juliet ad film adaptations throughout history. Not all of them are going to be portrayed by Aries Rising, but I think, especially like in the six, late '60s, that theme of the youth rising was yeah. really, really potent, breaking that cycle of, of darkness. Oh, such a good point. Um, all right, and then we have the second theme, which again harkens back to the same light phase, just in sort of different way of looking at it, but the idea of remembering one's divine right of sovereignty. Um, Aries Risings, in film at least, I don't, you know, I would assume perhaps in real life have to reckon with some kind of uh, corrupt controlling figure in their life. Um, it can be a father figure, literally, or it could be a boss, it could be a town leader, uh, whatever it is, it's often this corrupt um, controlling force that um, they might feel initially they have to bend to, but eventually over the course, if they rise to the occasion over the course of the story, the Dharma path, uh, they can find their inner right of sovereignty and uh, their ability to rule themselves and perhaps help to rule others that are in need of a good leader. So with all of that said, the first one I have here is uh, Heath Ledger playing William Thatcher in A Knight's Tale. Um, he starts off the movie as a kind of like a, what is it, a squire or a servant to an actual knight, um, but the knight like falls asleep. 
and is just not very good. And we learn early on that Thatcher is is really talented jousting, uh, but he can't compete because of his lowly social status. Um, but he, his good character takes him throughout the movie, eventually to the point where an actual prince um, dubs him a knight. And this can be seen as an externalization of this like inner right of sovereignty. But if we look at it symbolically, it's sort of like, even though by, by title, by birth, this character wasn't considered to be of high ranking knightly social status, um, he 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 found that throughout the course of the story competed and sort of overthrew the corrupt leader, uh, the corrupt king at the time. Um, for me, this story is like textbook Aries rising. Like I just like there's a bad king. This guy is a knight, Mars. And it just I think if you're looking for a place to start, I think this is maybe maybe the best. I also just really like it. Um, <laughs> so. That's the first one for me. And then my other one is Brie Larson playing Captain Marvel in, I think, Captain Marvel. Um, this character starts off the film with one idea of herself and her past. Um, but over the course of the film, she returns, she's like starts off in space with this one species and she is under the tutelage of this figure played by Jude Law, but then she lands back on earth discovers a family that was hers before, a friend and a daughter, um, so-called platonic, um, but I think it was a family that she had. Um, but then we find out that she lost her memory. And as she regains it, she learns that she was taken control of by Jude Law. And when she regains the knowledge of who she actually is, she rebels against him, kind of, putting him down, not literally, but she wins the fight against him and does some good, very heroic stuff. Um, I think that that is also indicative of the Aries story is that to me, it's the most straightforward hero's journey, like in terms of what a hero is. It's like, you know, starts off in, in one space of maybe confusion and being uh, controlled and then they gain control and they do good stuff. It's like very simple, it's the one, it's Aries. And I think that this these two films really, really show that. So um, Adam's first is also Brie Larson. Oh yeah, this one, this movie, if you saw it is a hard, it's a hard one to stomach. It was, uh, this movie was called Room and um, Brie Larson basically plays a woman who's been abducted. She has a child that is living in this room that her um, her captor, is that the right word? Yeah, her captor uh, keeps her in along with a child that she's conceived out of his, um, his taking advantage of her while she's his prisoner. So it's a really dark story. And it's about her attempt to escape and to sort of reclaim uh, her sovereignty, which has been completely stripped from her, of course, by a tyrannical father figure who is in the, in the film is called old Nick and is the father of her son, who is also her captor and tormentor. Um, and she ends up again, the sacrifice of the son theme, the child, 
she ends up he ends up faking his sickness going and this is spoiler alert in order to escape leaving in a truck to get him to a hospital because he's faking sickness and then he has to escape from the truck and uh but then the, the film goes on because it's really then about how she adjusts and adapts to life and being free which as it turns out is really difficult similar to some of the themes in Shawshank Redemption by the way mm. that there's a way in which the freedom is both physical at times and also mental and emotional it's about recovering your sovereignty um and embodying it it's not you know it's not enough to just get free there's there's trauma that has to be dealt with and there's issues about fatherhood too that there's people who want her to reject her son because of where he came from and that plays a huge role in the story after they get free from the room so this idea of the the divine right of sovereignty that is not tied or tethered to our patron like to our father or to the paternal and that has to free itself from a tyrannical father or sky god or captor or something like that huge really important in that movie yeah yeah that's a tough one that's yeah a tough watch it's a heavy one for sure that's a heavy yeah. movie i watched it i was like ooh didn't know i was getting into this one tonight <laughs> yeah <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, I know the other one is too. <laughs> <laughs> the next one's not any easier, and it's John Voight and Deliverance. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie. It's a great thriller. Like I will say, it holds up. I watched it only a few years ago again since I and I had watched it, you know, when I was a kid. And I think where, when did it come out? 1972, right? But it hold it holds up as like a very thrilling and terrifying um, survival thriller where they're basically a group of friends are backpacking in the Appalachian mountains, I think down South somewhere. And there's basically a bunch of psychotic, like, like um, deranged country dwelling, like Neanderthals, or <laughs> I don't know what to call them. They're just like crazy people living out in the woods that end up chasing them and trying to kill them. And it's all about survival. Um, and it, it is, uh, there are a number of scenes in that movie. I will not repeat, but that have to do with violation as a major theme and also um, the attempt to blot out your life. I have power over you. I have dominion over you like a captor or like a, a king that says, well, you're born a peasant. So you have no, nothing, nothing push you down. Um, and the whole movie is really about the, the I mean, it couldn't have been named. Uh, the title is perfect deliverance. It, it has to do with the, the sovereign experience of freedom and of the right to live and the need to survive and exercise one's will to uh, stand up and claim life. And uh, a huge part of deliverance, even though it's just kind of a, at this point, it's kind of an old thriller, but it, it that's what John Boyd's character is all about. Aries rising. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love that about the title that oh, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, and then we have the last theme, uh, which is reemergence of the solar father figure. Um, light phase wise, we've been in the dark half of the year, um, which you can think of the darkness as as feminine if we're thinking about yin versus yang. 
And so when we're bringing the father back, it's the reemergence of the masculine. If you correspond the masculine with the light, which is traditionally done. So uh, my first pick for this one is uh, James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. I think his character's name is Jim. Um, this character doesn't literally become a father, but in many ways, otherwise he does. Uh, he starts off the movie, for those who don't know, um, being pretty upset with his parents, uh, his father especially, because um, as he says outright, he says that his father is not standing up to his mother. Um, it's, you know, the film is old, but there is this sense that the father isn't being a father isn't being a good leader, isn't being a good role model for his son. And Jim tells him that, and uh, that happens. The father doesn't do anything. Situation stays the same. James Dean's character finds uh, friends in Natalie Wood and uh, Sal Mineo, and they develop this very clear little family unit in which uh, James Dean's character plays the father, Natalie Wood's character plays the mother, Salmonio is the kid. And um, it's almost like this play acting helps to reorient what's happening with James Dean's character's actual family. He's sort of fixing it the way that kids can do when they're playing, um, fixing what is happening in reality with this, this he's becoming the father that he didn't have essentially in this play acting. He's learning how to do it. He uh, is a really helpful friend to Salminio, who's his son. Um, and he becomes this, this father figure for them and then for himself. Um, and at the end, his actual father sees reason, but it only happened because James Dean took up the mantle himself to do it. Um, great movie. I would highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Uh, and then my last pick uh, is Looper, which is a time travel movie. I love time travel movies. Uh, and it stars uh, Aries Rising, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, who plays, starts off the movie as this assassin who kills people from the future because they need people in the past to kill people from the future. Uh, until his self comes back, Bruce Willis, like his older self. And his older self is trying to kill this little boy who later becomes a villain in the future. Joseph Gordon-Levitt finds that little boy and his mother, played by Emily Blunt, and basically acts as the father figure that they don't have and they need because he protects the boy from his older self. Time travel movies get so confusing, but he protects the boy by sacrificing himself. Um, there's, a, I think, a lot of metaphorical layers in that. And I think it actually corresponds pretty directly to the myth of the golden ram, um, the sacrifice for a child that is about to be murdered by this corrupt figure. Um, really interesting. Uh, and um, yeah, it's this idea for both stories that it's not an actual father, it's not literal, it's, um, it, it can be so many different things, this, this family leader, uh, strong, caring, loving, wise, uh, light figure. Um, so that's what I have. And then 
Adam has my favorite example, which is the Joker. Yes, absolutely. And um, I think um, let's hold on just one second. I wanted to. So Heath Ledger obviously um, played the Joker in what was it? 2000. What, what year was it? 2008. Yeah, it was a while ago now. So, yeah. And one of the reasons that I, I like this is because you will often have with Aries rising, the character arc will often involve trying to rise up and develop your own sovereignty. As we mentioned in the second part of this, um, and, and sort of, uh, the development or emergence of a, a, it's almost like you sometimes it needs to, you need to oust an unhealthy father figure and reclaim that sovereignty. Um, however, what can happen along the way is that there can be this theme of if you've been hurt, disillusioned, disappointed, pushed down, you can become a rebel. You can become a tyrant. You can become um, an anarchist, essentially. I remember when I was reading Liz Green's mythology of the signs in her famous book, The Astrology of Fate. And I remember the first time I read this and I was like, oh my gosh, this makes a lot of sense. But she was saying one of the biggest tests for Aries is to not become like a domineering bully that at one point bullied them. And so sometimes you have these sort of tragic Aryan figures who were pushed down by an authority and then rebel wildly. And their mythology is in some ways uh, resistant to, but simultaneously embodied that which at some point suppressed them. And that's the Joker. Uh, who is, we don't know exactly what or who harmed him, but it's very clear that someone did and that he is, he, he thinks that authority figures are hypocrites. He thinks that people like Batman are two-faced and, you know, he fundamentally distrusts anything calling itself a positive solar figure. And so his character, although it's a, it's sort of a tragic one represents the anarchy of someone wrapped up in an oppositional relationship with that solar authority figure. Um, and that's a very, it's very similar to rebel without a cause in a sense that James Dean's character has some rebellious tendencies and disillusionment and disappointment and recklessness in common with the Joker, though they're really, they're totally different characters and have different arcs in some ways. But, uh, yeah, so that, that's, I think, I think Heath Ledger as the Joker is there's some reason why everyone loved that so much. It's because we can all sympathize. There's been, there's probably in all of us been an eight-year-old who's tried to plot the demise of our parents, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and it, it's not always, I, I think I, I just said that it's like Aries is the most cut and dry hero's journey, hero's story, but it, it's not always like that. The, the mythology can play out in heroes and villains. Um, so in well, really like I think in you know back in in grad school when I was studying like literary theory and stuff like he's an anti-hero you know yeah. and and in very much like I would be curious to see if any of the uh the anti-heroines that have been replayed in Disney stories for example 
you know, it'd be interesting to look at some of those patterns. Like, was it Maleficence? Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Uh, the yeah. Sleeping Beauty, the, the retelling of those where it's like, now let's see what the queen, the evil queen's perspective was or whatever. Right. There's a, we're fascinated with antiheroes because we sympathize with, with the point at which they went bad. We understand mm -hmm. that the reason that a lot of them went bad is because they were bullied or harmed. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Um, all right. And then last one. This one is probably the hardest one to explain. It's been a while since I saw this movie, and it's just a little indie movie, but it featured Taylor Schilling, who's in Aries Rising. Heath Ledger, of course, was too, in case people are missing that connection, but I think it's pretty obvious at this point. But Taylor Schilling, also in Aries Rising, who was in this movie called Stay. It came out in 2013. Um, it's basically a movie about a young girl who has issues with her parents and seeks out a relationship with an older man who in some ways is like a surrogate father uh, in some ways. But um, this older man and her are um, living in this little Irish village, if I remember correctly. But anyway, they, the village like disapproves of their relationship because their age gap is so great. So he's sort of like a father. Um, she becomes pregnant he immediately is like, nope, I want nothing to do with being a father. And this is like this crucible for their relationship that is then the heart of the movie. Um, and it really has to do with themes of redeeming the father figure and looking at paternal responsibility and, um, and, and there's backstories with children and fathers that play a big role in the development of the story. And ultimately, I think what you could say this story is um, this story is about is moving from problems and fears around the solar mantle of responsibility that, you know, that, that there's something about that. Remember, the sun is exalted in Aries. Uh, so we think about the dignities of the planets associated. So one of the hero's journeys is the, he the heroic journey of fostering something young and taking care of it and raising it up, you know, helping raise it up toward the light. And this has to do with the disappointments and losses around fatherhood, around parenting in general, raising the light of the child and around the redemption of those roles and themes. So good. Yeah, thank you for calling out the exaltation. I think that is actually really helpful in understanding all of this. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Um, there's my face and my socials. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can get out of here, but. Um, Emma, can we put that back up for just a second so I can yeah, say yeah. a few nice things about you? Sure. <laughs> okay. So. I, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your magic because you are a magical person, a magical astrologer, and um, just a really insightful noticer of patterns. And um, I just really want people to know about you and to know your work and to follow you. So um, you will be completely amazed if you check out her work, um, Emma's work at Patterns in the Stars on Instagram. That's where she's going to share her pattern finding of like, physiognomy, facial profiles, and other interesting things. And I like that the way you do it, you just say, these people have this in common. Here's two pictures of them where you can see 
a similar energy or a similar expression. It's not just the faces, right? It's about the expressions and it's about yeah. the energies that you can you can really feel from a person's um, photograph, which is a projection on this on this on the wall of the cave, right? And so um, I just think your work is where I hope astrology will keep going, which is in a creative direction that celebrates pattern finding, pattern recognition, and the magic of a symbolic language that can help us see myths and archetypes in things like, you know, Hollywood movies, the actors that portray them. I mean, how people sometimes say, oh, you know, you, you can't, their, their rising sign has nothing to do with the roles they play. The hell it doesn't. You know what I mean? It, of course it does. The, the roles that people play in Hollywood will often reflect not just their rising sign, because you see a lot of that, but sometimes other placements in their charts too. Um, and the rising sign though is consistent and reliable in the way that you present it is just so useful. And I'm so excited to take this through the rest of the signs because we're going to come back and do Taurus next, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, you're a little shy. You have Venus in the 12th house. So <laughs> I just need to yeah. like pour some light on your creative endeavors so that people see it. I also have Mercury Saturn. So <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I have, I have Mercury Saturn, but I also happen to have a, it. It's square to Jupiter. So I can say a lot too. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Mars and Gemini too in my chart. So I have the gift of gab. Uh, <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for being here. We really, really appreciate yeah. you. It's so nice to have you um, on the show. And uh, I can't can't wait for uh, Taurus next. We're going to be looking at uh, the mythology of Taurus, which we'll explain. And then we will be breaking down um, some of the stories that Taurus Rising actors and actresses have played and how those themes are embodied in the roles that they've played. And we're going to do this for every sign um, and you are really like one of the things that I've been doing, and I've been telling people about this as I've been making videos lately, one of my goals for the years ahead is to really use my channel to build the, um, the work of people in astrology who, who I really admire. And so, um, you're sort of helping us pioneer a new, new way of, uh, using the channel because, um, you're yeah. someone whose work I really like. And I hope that people in watching this series will follow you and that your work will grow as a result. So that's the intention behind this. So you guys all go out and follow Emma at Patterns in the Stars on Instagram. And then, um, by the way, don't forget, as we are coming closer to the new year now, we're still trying to hit our goal of 1,777 backers by New Year's Eve for our annual Kickstarter. Uh, we thank you so much to everyone who's already pitched in. If you have not pitched in, you can find the link to the Kickstarter pinned to the top of the comment section or in the description of this video. When you go over there and you pledge, you support this channel, you support all the good things we're, that we're doing, um, and uh, our whole team that is behind the production of all of this work as well. Uh, and you can pick up a reward. Uh, class passes are on sale. We have some readings and different um, recordings that are there, so check them out. Help us support the channel in the year ahead, and uh, we really appreciate it. Okay, on that note, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again, Emma. Thanks.